Welcome to Geared for Growth. This week we're chatting with Dimitri Taylor from Investment Property Specialist. We have a chat about his first investment property and his background as an accountant and commercial property expert, and also chat about his philosophy and his innovative approaches to financing debt and structuring debt, and also goal setting around investing, investing in property and freeing yourself from debt. Here's Dimitri. Dimitri Taylor, welcome to Geared for Growth. Thanks, Mike. I'm uh, happy to be here. Awesome. Now, if you wouldn't mind just kicking us off, who are you and what do you do? So, Dimitri Taylor, investment property specialist. So, the the concept behind my business started when I saw a lot of people uh, investing without really knowing what they're doing and uh, there's a lot of people in the industry that kind of shoehorn them into a, a product, so fit the product to the client rather than, sorry, the client to the product rather than the, the other way around. So, um I'm a bespoke business that has no stock, doesn't carry anything. I just find properties for for clients, but also am able to do finance as well. And I've got some unique uh, funding strategies and structures, uh, mostly around debt reduction. So uh, that's what I do, mate. I am really excited to have a, a chat about these um, these these innovative finance strategies, uh, and I'm pretty impressed yeah. by uh, a, an investment property specialist without any stock to sell. Now that uh, is an interesting thing in itself. But if we can uh, start at the beginning, what uh, what posters were on your wall as a youngster, Dimitri? Oh wow! Okay, so I had a, a full length, like a six foot six poster of Dr. J, Julius Irving. Uh, NBA superstar back in the sort of early 70s and he used to live behind my bedroom door because uh, from the age of about seven I started playing basketball in the under eights and I don't think there was a day between the age of seven and 20 where I didn't touch a basketball every day for you know at least just to touch it so I was fanatical about it Um, so yeah Dr. J uh, and then um, so very sporting oriented Terry Danaher as I got into my early teens um, big Essendon fan, um, and then you know this one's a bit off off the mark with those ones, but Duran Duran. I'm not sure how they got in there. That was the first record <laughs> I ever bought, 12 inch of Duran Duran, right. and uh, yeah, they they were somewhere on the wall. Yeah, they just snuck in there. We've got some. <laughs> we've got a good insight into you, and some and quite a, an eclectic eclectic mix there, Dimitri. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Diversity is my middle name. Excellent. Now we'll certainly get into that, I'm sure. What about property? What was what was your first investment and, and how did you get into property in general? Yeah, so my first investment was a house uh, in Melbourne, out in the suburbs. Um, very little research done about it. I guess I was, I was a novice myself and I was working a corporate career back then. That was in 1998, so coming up to 20 years ago, I guess, 18 years. Um, what got me into property, what got me interested at least, was seeing my parents pretty much go through the the pain of losing everything. And, and they did that because they didn't kind of put too much aside. They, they put everything into their business. And they had a good business. It was going well uh, until one day when it wasn't. And that was in the um, recession we had to have early 90s. And it was so sudden, no one saw it coming for their, for our business I'm talking about, not the yeah. recession. But, you know, everything was going swimmingly well and, and we just kind of thought it would continue and, and it didn't. You know, one one um, major contract fell over, we didn't get paid, then we couldn't pay others. So <clears throat> I guess uh, it really struck with me the importance of, of doing something more with our money rather than just putting it into earning, uh, making a living. 
Yep. But it took me a while to put that into fruition. Like any, you know, young man, I was, you know, 20 at that time. And then I started working. I got into the corporate mold and, and I was spending everything I made, you know, and then some, yep. like a lot of people do. Uh, got to about, you know, 26, 27 and thought, oh, shit, I'm, excuse the language, I'm just about to fall into the same trap that my parents did. And that's when I really kind of, I guess, switched my mindset. And I was an accountant at the time too, so I had no excuse. So yeah, you I started planning I absolutely should have. Um, but, you know, interestingly enough, even accountants don't get taught that at that young age. You know, you learn that through experience. Um, so that's when I started putting a plan into action and uh, I was working in an organisation that used to pay bonuses, which was, was great. But, you know, the first two I got, I just blew on, you know, holidays or, or, you know, whatever else I needed at the time. And then I thought, no, the next the next one or two I get, I'm going to put that aside and uh, use that to buy my first property. And that's what I did. And so from there on, I guess I haven't looked back. Is that allowed? I mean, aren't bonuses meant to be for Ferraris and holidays and that sort of thing? <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, you'd hope so if they're big enough. Ferrari, for sure. But, um, you know, when you're in the accounting sphere, um, they're enough to help you, you get that deposit, especially back in the day when 10% was, was more than enough. Yep. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I wish I could have bonus all on Ferraris. <laughs> you know, the, the next best thing for someone who does is not getting the $200,000 bonuses is you know, great holiday or, or a nice car. And, and I, I see a lot of people doing that. That's where most people spend their money rather than thinking about their future. And, you know, it's interesting. I tell this story quite a bit, but if I look back and if I went back a few earlier years, or even as I, once I started investing, if I just put a bit more effort in when I had some that money back then, I would be, you know, exponentially better off now. Yeah. You know, and, and that's why I think the case that everyone needs to understand that I deal with when they're looking to invest. If you're starting at 40, chances are it's better than never, but it's very late in, in terms of getting yourself set up in the right way. We're going to get into all of that for sure. Let, let's mm. quickly um, go back to your property that you bought when uh, oh, 17 or 18 years ago in Melbourne. You, you still hold that property, is that right? I still hold that, yeah. Look, a bit sentimental, jewel in the crown. It's it's needing a bit of work at the moment. It needs to be painted and um, uh, mostly painting. The interior is pretty pretty well finished and nice. But yeah, look, it's it's been my workhorse. Uh, that property was uh, I bought it at the right time. I bought it in the right place, even though it was you know partially by accident back then. I didn't have the processes that I go through now. It was just in the perfect crosshairs of growth in in a Melbourne suburb. It had proposed freeway extension which is now being built it had train station two two k's away private hospital that's now been extended three or four times less than a kilometer away it had all the things that i now look for but back then i didn't so i was just lucky i must admit that yeah um but that one's been my workhorse that's that funded all my my next two or three um and you know i've i've just kept that one in the background it's a beautiful cash cow now it just it just sits there earning money for me and how important do you think it is to get the first investment right? Obviously, that one there was a bit of luck involved in it for you. But yeah. you mentioned sort of if you go, if you could go back, you'd be able to to see you know exponential results if you just got in a little bit earlier. Is is that first investment property crucial to your future? And and is is the reason why people aren't sort of owning ten or fifteen properties in general because they're getting that first one wrong? Do you think? Yeah, I think there's an element of that for sure. Uh, the first one is, is the, and again, it depends on everyone's individual circumstances, but if we look at the average of the person, people that I deal with, 
then they're not earning huge amounts of money. It's This is a stepping stone that is needed to launch them into the next and the next. And if you don't get that right, then you can't take the next step. Um, so it is really important to do that research right, get the right area that is going to experience a bit of growth over the next two to three years to at least enable you to, to get the next property. And it's, it's really when you get two under your belt, two investments, uh, plus your home, for example, that's really when... Um, like the snowball effect kicks in and everything starts to flow that little bit easier. But that first one, absolutely, Mike, I think it's the most crucial one for sure. And and that's why choosing the right location, the right property, then becomes paramount in that first property. And you started out flipping properties back in the beginning. Is that right? The, the, so after I bought that one in, uh, in Melbourne, then I used that to help me flip a few. That's right. Um, so I did three like that. They were apartments. And literally, I just did kitchen bathrooms. I didn't really do much else. It was very cosmetic in the rest of them. But uh, I made sure that the kitchen was really schmick and nice and the bathroom looked really tidy because, you know, in my experience back then in particular, those are the things that sold us. I still think they're the things that, that sell yeah. and add value. Um, so I did three of those and I did a lot of the work myself, learned a lot of lessons, one of which was I'd probably never want to do that again if I'm working full time. <laughs> it's nice. Yeah, that was a valuable lesson. It took a lot of time and effort, a lot of energy, a lot of weekends, um, a lot of mistakes, you know, late nights, bruises, all the works. And I, I didn't have a trade background, so I had to really learn a lot or, or pay a bit extra to get people into the specialty type work. Um, so, yeah, it was a valuable lesson. It was a good experience. Uh, I, I just warn people, if you're thinking of doing that, make sure you know your estimates because it's all about the buy when it comes to flipping, making sure you get that buy price um, at a rate that's well below the market of what you perceive your renovated product is going to be. Yep. And then the only way to, to understand that is to know your costs, know how much it's going to cost you to do all the different components that you may need to do in any property and um, and also factor in your time because time is, is money. Um, a lot of people will, will say, yeah, yeah, we made $20,000 over six months, but they didn't put a dollar in for their own time. Yeah. So they got paid 20000 for six months. You yeah. know, and it makes, the, it makes the renovation a little bit less valuable when you factor that in and you've got to allow for that. Yeah, for sure. Now, just getting back to, to your background as well, Dimitri, yeah. obviously you were an accountant. Um, so we yeah. know that that's where you get your sort of um, rocket roaring personality from. Um, you also spent. Um, you did a little bit of uh, a bit of work in in commercial property management, and I, I kind of find that interesting in terms of what that sort of taught you about um, site selection and and construction management and that sort of thing. How did that sort of help you in your journey to where you are today? Yeah, so it was, it was commercial development. So we would build um, small to medium shopping centres. Uh, yeah, look. It was really about the analysis. That was it was absolutely crucial, and I think that's what's taught me what I need to know for sure. So we would we would spend a lot of time and effort on demographics back then because because it was retail based. Uh, the the catchment area was was important to understand where where is a retail centre going to draw from, um, how many people are there, what's the growth prospects of that area, looking at councils, looking at their plans. So it taught me. Uh, all of those aspects. It also taught me to look at just the general infrastructure around it. Retail centres need good traffic flow. They need good accessibility. Uh, some, depending on where you are, need public transport. Others just need the good roads. So 
Yeah, it really taught me the importance of research, uh, especially when I saw how much time we spent researching every single project. That, that really brought it home uh, that it, it's not just important, it's essential. There's, there's nothing else that matters more than getting that research right. Awesome. Now, we, I know that you do, do commercial uh, property development projects for your clients and, and obviously uh, asset selection is, is a key part of what you do. But I wanted to get more to the, the philosophical side of things, um, which is maybe a yep. surprise for listeners of the podcast, um, we're as deep as a kiddie pool normally. But one thing that um, you've described yourself as is a, a freedom fighter. And I recently heard you talk about uh, a couple that had a mortgage on their property and after mm-hmm. 10 years, the balance of the mortgage was not quite heading in the right direction. Can you can you tell mm-hmm. that story and and give us a bit of an idea about the the importance and the, and the philosophy of, of what you do in terms of of, of minimising the, the the debt and in increasing that that cash flow and asset base. Yeah, yeah, it's um it's such an important thing in this day and age, especially with finance tightening. For anyone who's serious about taking control, getting and getting ahead by investing. I don't think you can get by unless you're earning a, a fantastic amount of income. Uh, for, for, for the average investor, you can't really take the third and fourth step up the rung without a good debt reduction strategy, a good finance strategy around you. So, yeah, that story really um, caught my attention, and that's why I share it because it's such a, a common theme. I've, I've met more than those people that are experiencing the same thing. Um, it's really just about understanding what it means when we spend our money and so you know a lot of people think um that you know budgeting is horrible and i get that i understand that but so too is ending up in that situation where your debt's going up and you're borrowing money to live for spending for recurring spending not to invest um so yeah that's where it came from it started from seeing clients in that situation and who weren't giving good advice you know they they, they would go for a refinance, take out more money, but they were never shown the impact that would have, how much interest they would pay over the life of that loan or how they would ever pay it off if they kept doing that. So one of the things I find really important is, is that educational process to do that, but also um, setting people up with the right type of strategy to do it as well. Um, so part of my process has been putting together a, like a, a coaching or a money management. I, I don't like the word coaching, but just helping people getting back in control of their money. Um, I always believe that philosophically, we always try to focus on saving. But then if you don't save, everyone's like, oh, I'll do that next month. So saving is a bit like a chore. Whereas spending's easy, right? Yeah. Everyone can spend money. I'm an That's expert, as it part. turns out. Oh, and everyone I know is an expert, so it's great. You know, probably one person in a thousand would say they're better savers than spenders. Um, so what I like to do is turn the focus on spending. And if you always focus on what you spend rather than how much you can save, you can control it much more. And what I've found is that people end up with much more money uh, either paid off their loan or, or, you know, sitting in their offset account towards a, a higher goal, a better purpose. So, yeah, it's really it's a true philosophical change to focus on not on how much we can save, but on what do we need to spend. So and that's really been, been where the philosophy's changed for me. 
So investors, uh, I guess, didn't exist a long time ago in, in residential property and, and we were sort of told that the, the, the best thing that you can do is, is work hard and, and pay off your debt because debt is a bad thing and then you'll sort of be free from that and, and that's the sort of the goal of, of working life. Then we sort of learned that mm-hmm. debt was a vehicle and we can use debt to invest and we can amplify the returns. So where is debt a positive thing and where is it a negative thing? Yeah, I definitely look at debt as a positive thing, but uh, debt is positive when it's being used to take you towards your goals, right? So if your goal is just to own your own home and you want to sit in it once you retire and never go anywhere else, then focus on just paying down that home. That's fine. But that's not where most people want to live and spend how they want to live and how they want to spend their time as they get older and retire. So debt is, is useful when it's earning you income. When it's earning you income or has potential to create uh, wealth creation or f- capital gains in the future. So that's, that's where I see debt as useful. Unfortunately, most people take out debt to fund lifestyle and that's where it's the most destructive and that's where people get themselves in trouble. You know, the, the $50,000 car loan and the $10,000 personal loan to go on a holiday, for example, you know. So it's really about just understanding where you want to be in 10, 15 or 20 years and then every time you look at taking out debt, you ask where is that going to get me closer or further away from where I want to be? Um, and I think that, that's probably, again, a bit philosophical on it, but for, if people don't have a clear direction uh, of where they want to be, in my experience, they often make the wrong decisions with debt. Um, whereas when they measure every de- debt choice that they make along the way against an ultimate goal or, or at least a, a general lifestyle, then they tend to make better decisions. And so that's, for me... Debt is good when you're using it uh, in a in a thought through research methodical method that's that's giving you the best chance to make some money either now or in the future. Now let's um let's talk about some of these financial products or these financial strategies that you have. Um, and and you you mentioned earlier, which is was something that um, Pete Wargent said on our first po- podcast, is that. If you can if you can spend less than you earn and invest the difference, then you're off to a good start. How does that sort of factor into the financial product, and and how does that work with 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 interest um, or with debt on your on your principal place of residence versus your investment property? Yeah, this this particular product. So there's there's a product and then a service that I bolt on for those people that need it. So the product we'll talk about is. Um, it's specifically designed for investors and what it does is it helps you uh, transfer legally, which got ATR approval, interest, you get a higher interest rate on your investment debt and a lower interest rate on your personal debt, your home loan. And the aim is specifically to help you pay off and own your own home sooner. The ATO likes people to own their own home. So the Australian government wants that to happen and they've agreed to facilitate this process where we get a much higher tax deductible debt, the aim being that that extra deduction is then used to reduce debt on personal, um, on the personal debt that's non-tax deductible. So in terms of helping people uh, accelerate their, their path to paying off their home, if you can't find savings anywhere else, if you can't do what um, Peter recommended or what I often suggest, you know, spend less than you earn and invest the rest, well, this is a way, essentially, it's like a... Um, a pay rise, right? So you're getting an extra few thousand dollars of tax deductions on your investment property 
and then it's about using it wisely and, and the wisest use is most likely to help pay off the debt on your personal loan. So that's the unique product. You can get your interest rate down as low as 2% depending on wow. the ratio of debt on your investment loan versus your personal loan. It's, a, it's an averaging rate and it's a fantastic product to really help people get ahead um, for those that are already invested. Right? So that, that's what it's designed for. If you've already got that investment, you know, your investment rate might be up as high as you know, 5.5 to 6 or 7%. No, not say so. That caps out, I think, at 6.2. And your um, personal debt, your home loan, can go down as low as 2%, again, depending on the average between the two loans. So, of course, the advantage there is that with your investment properties, the, the interest payments are tax deductible, whereas the, the payments on your home loan, whether they're interest or principal, they're, they're not tax deductible. So it's, it's, it makes a little Correct. more sense to have those higher rates um, on, on the deductible debt, right? Correct. That's right. And, and if you look at the average loans, you know, 300000 on your home and maybe four fifty on the investment, for example, uh, it, it could mean... A, Two, three, four thousand dollars, depending on your tax rate. Yep. So yeah, it, it can be substantial. That's a that's a good amount of extra money that you can lump into your um, debt reduction, principal reduction on your home loan. Now, on top of the the difference between the interest rates in the place of residence and the investment, there's also some some budgeting uh, services or software that's part of that. Can you can you can you run through what what that is and how that works? Yeah, so that's really putting into practice uh, what I was talking about before, the philosophical shift between focusing on your saving and focusing on your spending. So uh, the, the product itself uh, enables us to put all of your income into the loan rather than on an offset or other than in an account that's attached to it. It goes straight into the loan. So every month you're paying down principal and the, the philosophy then extends to one step further, which is either minimising or better still cutting up your credit cards. Because <clears throat> credit cards are part of the bank's ploy to keep us all tied to them for, for as long as possible, right? So uh, that's part of the step, first step for many people is getting in control of their finances is to get rid of the credit card. And then you allocate yourself a, a spending amount per week based on your essentials. And that's not to say we don't want you to live life. This process is about just being aware of where your money's going. So you're budgeting your necessities, your food, your transport, but also some entertainment every week. And your job is just to spend that money. Um, but then we're using budgeting software to make sure that, that that amount, plus you know your utilities and all the other bills that you have in life, is less than what you earn. And then we understand how much you've got spare, and now we're gonna bring some attention on where are you spending that? Where have you been spending that in the past? And then where do you need to spend that in the future? Or could it be better used? offsetting your debt and so that's the that's the service that we provide it's uh we call it money management um you you get someone who helps you through that every step of the way gets you set up then you're in control of your budget and uh, we give you the process that's going to maximize your debt reduction so that sounds suspiciously like accountants taking the fun out of everything, Dimitri. So I want to I want to <laughs> tease that that apart if if I can. Yeah, um, and yeah. obviously, credit sure. cards. You know, I'm 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 worried about my Qantas points. Um, but getting back to um, getting back to that uh, that software and the budgeting, I guess what what gets measured gets managed. So this will allow yeah, you yeah. to see where you're spending money. And I, and I'm guessing as well, it, it helps educate the decision where you're thinking. You know, gosh, I really am in medical need of the new OLED flat screen television or they're probably curved now I'm not quite up to date but you can actually say well yeah, yeah you you can have that 
but this is what happens to the end goal. Is that sort of roughly how it works? That's exactly how it works, Mike. Yeah. So the idea is not to ever limit anyone. It's not about lifestyle restriction. It's just about awareness. It's about understanding. And that's exactly what happens. So someone wants to buy it or they want to upgrade their car and, you know, they're looking to spend a certain amount of money. That money is never going to not be there for them if they have it, of course, if it's, if it's in their loan account. But what, it, what we add to it is then we say, yep, this is what it's going to change to your monthly repayment. This is what it's going to change to the total interest you pay at the end. Do you still want to do it? And then you're making an informed decision because most people make that decision without considering that longer-term impact. They just look at the, the specific product or asset they're buying without considering how it's going to affect the debt position longer-term. And the amount of extra interest that you might pay on your home loan because you've put $3,000 to that new, new whiz-bang TV could offset the value of that, that TV to you. Yeah. you know, everyone's going to be different, of course, but it's just about making sure that you've, you've considered that when you make that decision. So it's not, it's not about restricting funds. Uh, no accountants involved in this process. Just because I am one doesn't mean <laughs> I'm bringing <laughs> that into play. This is, this is purely about... Um, I, I actually look at it as a different way. I think it's about bringing more fun but into your future because I don't know anyone that if, if given the choice and, and I, myself included, like I mentioned before, if I could go back 20 years, I, I wouldn't, I would invest a lot more than I did. Yep. Right. And that's someone who's, who had a focus on it. And I don't know anyone who's made a, even just a small amount of money on investing that wouldn't give that same answer. And so I think it's really just about helping people recognize that, but now not in 20 years time when it's too late. I think this is all terribly sensible, but there's a few sort of per- yeah. pervasive notions out there. I have a, a, a perhaps fiscally unsuccessful friend, um, it'll make sense in a second when I tell you the story, who's um, described credit cards as free money. Um, now, obviously, yes. <laughs> that's uh, setting off some alarm bells. <laughs> I'm sure it's probably making you nervous at the moment. But getting back to that situation where, say, you, you own a home and you decide to live off the equity, if the house is sort of always going up in value and your interest rate stays the same, I mean, I, I suppose you're kicking it down the street, but people are thinking that one day they'll, they'll pay it off. Is, is that a strategy that can work or, or, is, or is, is, is re- that just really the, the banks tying into this, this sort of shackle that, encourages us to to just keep tightening and and maybe redoing the rivets yeah a bit of both i think a bit of both so i think can that strategy work look it, it can work but you can't control it right you, it only works if you had the growth we've had over the last 15 years and will we get that in the next 15 do we, we don't know right no one's yeah. got a crystal ball so it has worked over the last 15 years if you bought you know back in the late 90s or early noughties then, and you, you, you probably have a very low mortgage on your home because you probably paid 200000 300000 for it. It might be worth eight or 900 now. So you, that person can probably get away with it. But if you buy today and you spend six or seven or 800000 on a home, do you, are, we, are we certain or do we have any clarity on whether you'll get that same you know, tripling in value over the next 15 years? Well, we're not. So in, for me, it doesn't feel like a strategy that you have any control over. And, and I generally don't, don't like that. You know, we don't have any input in it. It's, it's kind of um, buy and hope, fingers crossed, and maybe it'll work for us. Um, and then I, the other side of it is um, at a certain point in time, that, that debt, if you're living off debt, there's always a risk that, that debt, that's going to be taken away from you. Someone might turn off the tap. Yep. And again, for me, that's not a, a guaranteed or a certain way of life. You know, you're always going to be living at the um, 
the the whim of the bank or someone else in that in that situation. So yeah, look, it has worked. People have, have done well from it and and got got away with it. I think that's probably the better word for it. They've got away with it. Yeah. Just because the the economy's charged over the last well probably ten years of the early noughties up till probably two thousand and eight nine, um, and since then it's been you know fine, not not bad. But we don't know if that's going to continue. So I, I don't really like that as a strategy. I'd rather be um, you know, investing wisely with a view to using that to, to help myself be debt-free or have an income that's going to pay off my debts when I retire. So with, uh, with say, revaluing your, your property that you own to buy investment properties, obviously there are, there are some people that uh, get big cash bonuses and they can throw that straight into a deposit and they can service it well. For a lot of people, their first investment property will, will come by redrawing you know, the increased equity because their home has gone up in value. At what point is that sort of a sustainable st- strategy to do that for a number of properties? And, and where's the sort of sweet spot where you need to really be thinking, gosh, I should be paying off the, the principal place of residence? Yeah, look, I, um, I, it's, it's important to probably separate the two. If you're drawing down equity on your home, that additional equity that's used as an investment, even though it might be secured initially against the, the PPR, I still classify that as investment debt because it's earning interest. And I, yep. I think that as long as you have a solid income and your rental properties are good, then that strategy can continue based until you know you you hit your debt limit. Yep. But as long as you're paying off your PPR along the way, of course, right? That's that goes without with everything I'm saying today. But um, the sweet spot is going to be unique to every person. But what I've found, I think three to four properties at the moment is a sweet spot for someone who's on an average income. Yep. Um, it's probably that's probably going to be at the debt ceiling, but. For some people, it's one or two because of the comfort factor, fear factor. Um, people just don't want to extend themselves. They're not comfortable with that. They don't have that uh, total investor mindset. They know they needed to do it, but they're, they're still hesitant. Um, but for me, I think three to four is generally my target for most clients who can afford it, You know, as long as it's sensible lending. Now let's um, let's chat about how you sort of work with people if they come to you. They're saying, you know, look, I, I'm interested in investing in property. Maybe they've got reasons like they're they're paying too much tax, or they heard at a barbecue that it was a good idea. Um, what what's the sort of first step that you you run through, and then sort of how many sort of forks in the road can you go down in terms of, of what their their goal is? Okay, so the first step is I would have a quick look through where they are now. What's their current financial setup and how much they got just to know whether it's even feasible because then there's not, not, not a great deal of point talking about uh, the potential for investing if they can't physically afford it so quick quick run through of where they are financially but as i alluded to earlier the the next thing that i spend the most time on is why what's, what's their motivation what's their goal if it's tax minimization uh it's not the right motivation in my book so but uh, you know I, I know a lot of people who come with that scenario ultimately want something more they just haven't thought about it or or haven't linked it so for me i spend a lot of time on helping people understand why if they haven't already understood it um i like to ask the question you know if if you had the exact same amount of income that you earn today but you didn't have to work for it what would you do tomorrow and what would you do the next day and i find a lot of people don't actually have a clear vision of what they would do if they didn't have to go to work every day Mm. so that's where I like to spend a lot of time on because if that's not a powerful enough motivator, 
if someone doesn't have a real emotional connection to what it is they want to do, then chances are when the tough decisions need to be made on investing, and, and let's face it, every investment will require a decision or two along the way, right? Yeah. And some of them can be a bit tough and some of them can create feelings of fear. You know, when, where's the next tenant going to come from? Oh, we have to drop rents or, you know, there's, there's decisions that need to be made. Um, if, you, if that motivator behind it for your personal reasons isn't strong enough, then I, I find that's where people um, make the wrong decision, sell up early, lose money, you know, they close out a bad position or get into a bad position to start with, but they, they might cut and run when it wasn't the right strategy. Um, so I spend a lot of time on that. I think that's crucial. And then I discuss how we do it, how it's possible for them based on their circumstances, what it would look like, what it would cost. I, haven't, I never talk about a property until all that's understood. Right. Um, and, then, and then I discuss what it is they'd like, they, they think they would like in a property, what they would look for, and then I give them my version of it, a, a more professional-based version of it, um, so that we can identify where there's differences and help them understand why I do what I do versus what they would have done. And, and perhaps, you know, if they're right, I'd, I'd happily admit it, but I haven't seen someone be right who's never invested before yet. Um, so, yeah, I, I really focus on on their personal situation and their understanding, education. So really take them through all the costs, all the, all the structure, the way we set it up, how it's going to work for them and how it will help them achieve those goals that they just outlined for me. Uh, and, and it's not really till the second meeting that we talk about property. Yeah, now, now you've got us all sort of sitting up a little bit straighter in our chairs thinking about what we would do if we got paid to sort of do whatever it is the hell we like. Um, That's right. Let, let's, let's, let's say we've got this hypothetical goal in mind that we need X amount of million dollars to be able to retire the way that we want to do it. What, what's sort of the next step? I know all situations are different, but let's say we, we've, 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 we've suggested that, that property is the best way to go. What's your next step from there, Dimitri? Where, what sort of properties do you buy? What what, what sort of areas and, 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 and how does the, the development side weigh into that as well? Yeah, so uh, I focus primarily on new, uh, new house and land or, or new apartments, very few apartments, but mostly house and land. Um, again, it depends on the budget. So I, I've got, and I, I try to keep people away from the massive estates, you know, um, where I live is a great example of that, you know, in, in the Bayside of Brisbane, they're building something like, I don't know, five or 10,000 new houses over the next three or four years. And it really puts a cap on any potential growth. Because if you've got an established house, the most someone's going to pay for it is, is probably a bit less than a brand new house of the same sort of size and, and bedroom ratio, etc. And I think that's probably, if that's the first property, that's where a lot of people get capped out and they don't get that growth. They need to do the next property and the next. Yeah. Um, so I really do a search for, for people based on their budget. So first step is really understanding what could they afford as an investment comfortably. Um, and then I, I go out and find them a property that's going to match that. So I, I like to, I offer a, a unique kind of solution to that as well is that we find a block of land in an established area and match our house to it and build it for them. So see the whole thing right through uh, with the aim to give that client some equity upside, right? So they buy the land at market. It's realestate.com. We just go, we help facilitate the process for them. Um, and where they really save on is the, the, the planning and, and approval application for the property. Um, the builders I use have standard designs that are, that are all always applicable to different types of blocks. So we can save money there and they're fixed costs. So 
full turnkey, um, fixed price. We don't change the price based on what the market value might be in the area. The client gets all that upside. So I, that for me has been my, um, I guess my, my real point of difference and that's what I really focus on because a lot of uh, new house and land building, it, it is really a case of people paying a bit too much um, and they, they often go backwards in the first few years rather than going forwards. And I guess so in, that's, a, that's in a way they, they become the developer in a sense. I mean, a developer will, will purchase some land, they'll, they'll, build, they'll build the townhouses or the house or whatever it is, and if market mm-hmm. values go up in the area, then they're, they're getting that cream on top, but you're sort of giving that to the, to, to, to the client that you're working with. That's exactly right, yeah, yeah. So like an armchair developer, I know that term's been used quite a lot, but yeah. essentially that's what it is, but you're only building one house, as you, that's right. And that is the goal, because, uh, you know, part of my my reputation and the builder who I work with, part of that relies on us getting a good deal for the client and not, not getting them to buy at market. So their finished product is at below market, and that way they're going to get a great yield, they get a bit of equity upside straight away. So hopefully in, in a year or two time, there's more equity there for them to use. But they're also in an established area. So in an area where there isn't 5,000 homes going in that are going to cap or put a ceiling on prices, um, in an area that is desirable to live in, has got the, the flow of people coming to it, is near good school. So we can we can control that a little bit more for them. And typically, if on a, on, a, on a standard sort of block of land in the areas that you're purchasing and, and adding the construction value, how, how, how much under is it coming to, to what a value would, would put on it and, and what yields are you sort of seeing typically straight out of the box? Yeah, the yields are generally over 5% on that product, yep. um, up, to, up to 5.8, 5.9, depending on the area. Um, the the least value I've seen is about twenty thousand, yep. and there has been upwards of you know seventy or eighty thousand on on as once complete reval bank val, that much equity straight away. So um, there's been wow. some fantastic ones, and but there's always something. About twenty thousand is probably the least we would aim to have for a client on that first. As soon as it's complete, you've got twenty thousand in the bank. Yeah, wow. And um, is that the, the sort of go-to strategy for yourself? Are there other different different ways that you go for, for different people or, or do, you, do you focus on, on any established properties at all? Uh, I, I haven't, no. Um, I, I can. I still think that, um, especially with the depreciation changes, and I know you've probably sp- spoken about this at, ad nauseum, yeah. but it really changes the equation. You know, it changes the financial equation for people. So for first-time investors who are uh, you know a little bit hesitant maybe you know they're on the margin and and they don't have a massive amount of cash reserves to be pumping into a property every week or every month um, then getting that tax benefit is important Mm -hmm. but it's it's still important to get the right property that's going to have that potential we've just already talked about so no i haven't but I, i i think the new for me has been made even more relevant based on all those changes because it, it does impact quite a bit financially um, in those first few years in the cash flow. Yeah, so just to, to backtrack on that, obviously the plant and equipment deductions, so carpets, blinds, kitchen appliances, they're all gone unless you're buying a brand new property or you've purchased prior to, mm-hmm. to budget night. We've got um, we've got an article that should 
be live at the time of recording. And sorry, I'm not going to plug plug us <laughs> for much longer, Dimitri. But <laughs> what what is uh, what I found interesting is is that we, we we came up with a number of 59% of the depreciation deductions are wiped out in the year in the first year of claim when you don't have plant and equipment assets. So that. That cash flow difference is 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 a huge difference, and of course, if you're yep. if you're building new properties in an established area, there's not a lot of competition. If people are wanting a new house in an area that's established, there's there's not going to be that many of them, and you've got less Correct. maintenance and headaches as well. So there's 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 quite a few pieces to the puzzle there, isn't there? That's right, and that's exactly right. That's that's the whole purpose of that strategy is to continue the benefits of of new, but combine it with the benefits of being in an established area that that should provide a better growth prospect in those first few years and what are some of your sort of good news stories with people that you've you've worked with have, have you got some people that you can think of that came to you um, with an idea that they wanted to invest didn't sort of really think about what what their future might be like if if they can retire early and you help them through the a couple of properties yes yeah definitely um, so there, there's a client from they're based in Melbourne, in fact, and they are very similar. They they had no idea how to invest, what to do, um, and they were getting probably early fifties. They both were, and and they just they just were ready to put their money anywhere. They were just going to buy a shack, you know, whatever they could get because they were looking in Melbourne, of course. So they had a budget of of just under five hundred thousand, and. As you probably know, Mike, what you can get for five hundred thousand in Melbourne is not very much anymore, mm. um, unless you want to be sixty k's from the city. So they were looking at at buying, you know, something that, in my opinion, would have probably given them a lot of headache, would have required a lot more money to renovate and work on as tenants move through in those first couple of years, um, and it would have cost them a fair bit because cash flow would have been impacted. It wouldn't have been great. So, um, yeah, so I managed to get them up up into Queensland, and. There's a particular, they got like one of the last properties in Mount Cotton, which I think is a great investment. The reason I think it's that is because I've done a fair bit of commercial work out there. There's a major shopping centre that's being developed now, and I don't think people quite understand the scope of it, but I do because I help put the plans together. So for me, that was a, a great, a bit of insider knowledge that I shared with my clients. They've got in there at a good price, and I think that area is going to explode over the next five to 10 years. So um, that's one of them. There's another couple that... Um, like the, the the male was a fair bit older than the woman, so he's in his early 60s, but she's in her sort of late 40s, early 50s. Nice work if you and, can get it, I guess. Yeah, it is, <laughs> it is, yes, it's right. <laughs> but, you know, they really wanted to set her up in case, you know, he wasn't in great health, he knows, he, he knows he's sort of getting on a bit. They really wanted to make sure that she was set up correctly, and so uh, that was about getting them into the, the right property to start with, they could definitely afford it. Their cash flow was great, but again, there was so much fear. Didn't understand how they were going to get there. Didn't have a strategy to to aggressively pay it off. So I put them on that. But also, they had a fair bit in super. Not enough to SMSF and my property, but I think it was really. I, I just referred them on to someone who's really going to take care of that for them. And I think it was just having someone that was going to put them in in the right path, put them in the right direction, and and give them a like a, a clear. Uh, path to get to where they want to be and so they've, they've just sort of taken it from there and they're really running well with it and, and smashing their debt as well so they're probably two quick examples uh, to share but um, it, everyone's different Mike you know I like to that's why I don't carry any stock because I don't think there's anything for me to hold on to or to tie down 
that I can't find that's going to be more relevant to each individual person. So I go out, it's always an individual search for people. It's a bit of a slippery slope once you start carrying stock. You think, really, this needs to be moved, and then you find I yourself sort stop. of saying, you'd be the perfect person for this this yeah. bit of stock, and, and then suddenly you're kind of thinking, gee, I don't know if it is the right fit, and you look at yourself in the know. mirror, and you start to look a little bit more <laughs> Dorian Gray sort of gnarled. Um, I, I think that's a positive thing. Look, um, we'll, yeah. we'll finish up with some final advice f- from you, but if people have got some questions for you, Dimitri, about some of these different strategies, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, they're happy to, to answer any questions, Mike. So email is Dimitri, spelled D-I-M-I-T-R-I, at D-T-I-P-S dot com That stands for Dimitri Taylor Investment Property Specialist, D-T-I-P-S. Uh, or mobile, ring me anytime, 0401 uh, Always happy to help. Uh, my website's there, investmentpropertyspecialist.com.au. Um, but, you know, all those three avenues, I'm sure one of them will get to me. Yeah, it sounds like we've got that well and truly covered. If we can, um, <laughs> if, if we if we have missed uh, anything that you wanted to cover, Dimitri, um, let us know now. But uh, otherwise, if there's one piece of advice that you can give to property investors, what what would that be? Um, I think it's about research, mate. It's it's just understanding where you're buying and why you're buying it there. Uh, Because identifying the right area is probably the most crucial part of the process. Or, and if you don't do that, or if you're not prepared to do that, then making sure you've got someone that is looking after your best interest that you're uh, engaging to do that. So, just finding the right advisor if you're not prepared to do these parts yourself. Um, Because one of the things I do is I don't I don't allow my clients to trust me on it. I give them everything I possibly can, but I then say, this is what I. I, I would find I need you to go out and verify it. So I think if, if a client's not prepared to do that, uh, then they run the risk of either A, you know, they, they, they're potentially going to be, um, I guess, holding on to everything I said, which means, you know, if, if something uh, that they're not happy with, then I don't like that pattern. I like them to be fully responsible, um, but I give them all care and all information and everything I can to support that. But ultimately, it should be their decision. And I don't like anyone uh, who kind of shoehorns or forces people into a property or a product that may not be applicable. So that, that's kind of, I guess I've rambled a bit there. Sorry about that. No, Jeez, what a way right. to finish. But, <laughs> but it's really about helping, empowering people rather than pushing them into a, a situation they're not sure of. I think that's fantastic advice. And unfortunately, we've seen far too many people conjoled into setting up self-managed super funds to buy different products that have sort of been preyed upon. So if you've got the confidence in, in what you do and your research and are happy for the client to sort of go off into the big bad world and find it for themselves, then that says a lot about uh, your product and, and what you do, Dimitri. So thank you very much for the, for the advice. It's uh, been great chatting to you. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Beautiful.